and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, I'm your host, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Now, if you like what we do, if you value what we do, we could use your support. You can visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or a nonprofit, a nonprofit doing good work, I should add that. Uh, if you're doing that, um, consider becoming a sponsor as well. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral service, and Gateway's also gearing up for the local produce season. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. With me in the studio today, uh, in his scrubs, I should add, is Dr. Charles Goldman. And we've got, um, we've got a couple people uh, joining us on the phone. Probably folks uh, locally to Des Moines here will know our two callers, uh, Sally Frank, an attorney, and Rekha Basu, a columnist with the Des Moines Register. Uh, this is a tough conversation because I tell you, Charles, in my lifetime, I never thought I would see the day when Roe v. Wade would be at risk of being repealed. You mean when they appointed the three Trump judges, you didn't think that was going to happen? Uh, back a little further than that, I never thought this would happen. Mm-hmm. And now and now we're heading, and, and let's presume it does, and now we're wondering, I mean, there are going to be, what, 13 states where there's an automatic trigger where they immediately, uh, abortion to one extent or another, becomes illegal. In Iowa, that doesn't happen, but we have a Republican governor who is, who is just rabid about uh, about her stance against choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a legislature that's very solidly Republican. We have a Supreme Court that even, you know, I, I will say, I think our, our system is better than most states in terms of appointments to the Supreme Court, but it's still, it is a largely uh, Republican-appointed Supreme Court. And I think we're starting to wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's fairly clear that... Um, they're going to wait until the decision comes out, um, which will be late June. And I, I don't believe she's going to call a special session because the I gov- think the, the governor, the governor that's right. correct. I, I, in many ways, the Republicans are, they thought, maybe they thought like you did, Ed. They figured they could make this issue last forever. For, politi- nev- for, for political, political purposes. purposes. Yeah. I mean, it was always a political, there's nothing about Roe v. Wade that, wasn't political. Uh, one of the biggest jokes about Roe v. Wade was that it was way out of step with the country at the time when it was decided. And point of fact, historically, uh, it might interest you to know that the Republican Party, in fact, was in favor of legalized abortion prior to Roe v. Wade. The um, Convention of the Southern Baptists in 1971 passed a resolution for legalization of abortion. Mm. Uh, somehow the scripture changed, I guess, between Roe v. Wade and now. But um, it wasn't the social issue that people now looking back make it out to be. In fact, it was made a social issue by activism against the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, which at the time the Republicans also favored. Let's, uh, let's welcome uh, Sally Frank to the program. Sally's an attorney uh, in Des Moines. Uh, she's a lawyer. She teaches at, uh, at uh, Drake University, uh, also with the uh, National Guild, I believe. Sally, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ed. Glad uh, to be here. So uh, you've got a long history in Iowa uh, 
within the legal realm. What's your take on what's likely to happen both at the legislature here and at the Supreme Court, the Iowa Supreme Court? Well, there is a case in the Iowa Supreme Court now which could come down around the same time as the federal Supreme Court case comes down. In 2018, the Iowa Supreme Court found a state constitutional right to abortion. It differed from Roe in that the opinion found the right within the equality clauses, recognizing that if women can't control our reproduction, then we can't have equal and, and, status in our society. And, and Tyler, can I ask a question? Because in fact, this, that's an interesting point. Um, my understanding was that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's view was that the uh, made up or, you know, sort of amalgamated right of privacy was a poor uh, basis for the decision. And she preferred a case which actually would have been decided, the case of the Air Force uh, captain who uh, was told that she would have to, uh, I'm sorry, she was an NCO who would have to give up her job um, because of pregnancy and at the same time uh, could not uh, avail herself of abortion. And she wanted an equal protection case also. Well, and Justice Alito, you, at least in his draft, uses all the critique that has come down on all sides about Roe to try to say that it was egregiously decided. But mm -hmm. there certainly had been and always has been an argument that while privacy certainly should exist, a right to privacy exists, that abortion is a matter of equality and equal rights. And the Iowa Supreme Court opinion in 2018 found that in striking down the 72-hour waiting period between when a woman would get what the legislature calls informed consent, which is really a bunch of lies that doctors have to tell the patient, and when she could have the abortion. The legislature, uh, in its midnight session, during the uh, COVID session, passed a statute for a 24-hour waiting period. That statute is now before the Iowa Supreme Court, and many Republican legislators asked the court to overturn the 2018 decision. Do you think? Do you think that statute, that that case, will be used to somehow jump into the bigger question of whether abortion would be allowed in Iowa at all? That is what the legislate the legislators' friend of the court brief asked the court to do. Okay, right. Uh, I am hopeful that because the Iowa Supreme Court is not as ideological, because we have a merit selection system, right. that they are going to show more respect for precedent, and also because it's only four years old, and to change overturn a decision that's only four years old hmm. would really be saying. The only there is no legal principle here. It's just about who's appointed us and what our what politics are. But what's what's to stop yeah. the legislature? But, but that would meet that would meet uh, Justice Alito's view that right. if it's not long established, it's, right. you can't really say it's precedent. So what? Yeah, really. So what's what's the, what's to stop the Iowa legislature again? No matter what happens in the 2022 election, it's almost impossible to imagine the Republicans losing control of the Iowa House, Senate, and certainly the governor's office. What's to stop them from launching into a full-scale assault on the on, on, on the right to choose? Well, they already have. So what, if the Iowa Supreme Court upholds the 2018 decision, in this legislative session last year and this year, they passed a proposed constitutional amendment to say that the Constitution doesn't have anything to do with abortion. 
that will be up for vote again in the next legislative session, yeah. the next two years. Right. And then the people get if to vote on it. it. If it passes again, then it will go to a public vote. And I think if that happens, they uh, lose. Iowans will vote that down. Iowans, One hopes. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think they will. Yeah. I, but... But that's the way to, if the Supreme Iowa Supreme Court holds fast on its view, that would be a way of overturning the Iowa Supreme Court decision to just change the Constitution. Now, Sally, tell me what you think of this. My, 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 my sense is that, again, I, I think politically, the U.S. Congress, House and Senate, are very likely to go Republican. And I don't know whether we continue to have a Democratic president, but let's... let's, let's Let's assume Fighting that when they reappoint Trump, <laughs> reappoint Trump. No, we may not even have Trump on the ballot in 2024, but who knows? Let's assume we get a Republican Congress and presidency. What's to stop that bunch from 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 codifying a federal uh, uh, abortion ban? And, 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 and the filibuster. Oh, the filibuster. Well, what about the issue of under what basis would the Congress get to legislate a federal ban? Because in same way of saying it should be available in all 50 states, they were going to imply that by interstate commerce clause, they have a say. Yes, and it will affect interstate commerce if states try to make laws that say, um, I think there was one in Utah that they were looking at passing to say that a woman in Utah can't cross state lines and go to another state where it's legal and have an abortion. Oh, it gets worse than that, Sally. And, in Missouri, no, they were gonna extradite the doctors. <laughs> and that they can charge the people in another state who legally gave her an abortion. Right. And then so they could be extraditable to their state, supposedly. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, that's interstate commerce right there. Yeah. So the argument would be that a ban or a nationwide provision for abortion would make more sense if we're going to have a bunch of states trying to extradite doctors from other states and anybody well, who helped the them go across the state line. Yeah, but there's a serious question about the constitutionality right. of a law like that as well, um, because there is a right to travel right. that's been long recognized. And that's kind of what, you know, you don't have to show your passport at crossing a border in the United States from one state to another. And um, that's a very strong principle from the founding. I mean, you, but, well, you know. is, 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 could that survive the present court? Yeah, good question. Uh who knows, you know, with this court, it is so right wing, um, you know, vetted by the Federalist Society, mentored by the Federalist Society from the times they were in law school on. Yeah. And but there are still limits, you know, they didn't overturn the election. Mm -hmm. Right. Not this one. <laughs> so what 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 what? Um, yeah. Again, what, what do you see going... There are a lot of people concerned about other rights being eroded, uh, the use of contraception, um, um, marriage equality, uh, right. also, or, or even, even criminalizing abortion, you know? I mean, right. how, far do you, how far do you see this going? Is this, uh, is this the tip of the iceberg now that uh, they've tasted the, their capacity to uproot 50 years of precedent? Absolutely. Certainly in states that are going to ban abortion, there will be states that will make it a crime, um, a crime of murder, including for the woman who has an abortion, 
which will mean that when women have miscarriages, they will be investigated to determine whether or not they did something to cause the miscarriage and whether or not, in fact, it was an abortion. Women are in prison in El Salvador for having had miscarriages. Yeah, I mean... On top of that, on top of that, when you define life as beginning at the moment of fertilization, there are many... um, there are several contraceptives that prevent implant, implantation, but don't prevent fertilization. And so those would become banned. In vitro, in vitro fertilization will become problematic. So that would affect a lot of people. Uh, whether or not... You know, whether or not there's a right to privacy, the court, you know, Alito saying, oh, don't worry about those other things. We're only concerned about abortion, but one can't be sanguine or um, certain that they won't also go to uh, try to get. Sure. And and look, look at how vague. At least marriage, at least marriage equality. I don't think they would go back and say it's okay to ban to make make homosexual behavior criminal. Yeah. But and I, I honestly don't see them going as far as banning marriage equality anymore. I don't, I don't see that happening. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, again, I, five years ago, I never would have seen this happening. But, uh, you know, but um, it, it is interesting to me that these, these judges who, support, who are likely to support this ruling, given the uh, court order we've, we've seen, that they, um, you know, when they were vetted by the U.S. Senate, when they were questioned, uh, they seem to have um, a very different opinion on, 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 on Roe v. Wade and what the Constitution had to say about it. No, they didn't. If you listen to their words exactly, they said Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. Roe v. Wade is the law of the land today. Roe v. Wade will be the law of the land until they overturn it. They said we're not going to, that, you know, it's precedent and to overturn a precedent, you have to have really good reasons and carefully consider Well, they're carefully considering and think they have really good reasons. They told, did not tell the whole truth, Okay, so but they were truthful. They were nuanced. You, know, you would nuanced. not be able to yeah. see a lie in that. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so the only people who believe they weren't ready to overturn Roe v. Wade are the pre- people who wanted to be deceived, like Susan Collins. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, she was uh, effective at being deceived. Uh, Sally, I uh, really appreciate you joining us. Any last word? Uh, people have to vote, people have to organize, and people have to support those who live in states where they're going to ha- where abortion will be a crime. We've got to support them and help them get to places where it's legal. And people have to recognize that whether crime or not, abortions will still take place. Sally, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. Folks, we've been talking with Sally Frank. Uh, She's an attorney in Des Moines, uh, an instructor at uh, Drake University, and uh, quite knowledgeable in this realm. Hey, uh, Charles Goldman's in the studio with me. We've got more to talk about. I want to talk about the media angle on this. I want to talk about... uh, about the potential for bridge building, and maybe you're not aware of it. Bridge building but, with whom? Well, bridge building with the folk, the rank and file voters who are anti abortion, but I think there's a conversation to be had there going beyond the political hacks, who, again, I think primarily like to use this for political gain, but mm-hmm. there's so much to talk about here. But when we come back from a short break, I want to uh, 
See if we can connect with uh, Reka Basu, a columnist for the Des Moines Register, who wrote, uh, has written some very provocative columns on this conversation. Again, we've got to take a short break. Ed Fallon with you, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the uh, Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche is more important than ever. Uh, please support what we do. Go to the Fallon Forum website, donate, even better, become a monthly sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story, Co Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Okay, so uh, Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with, studio with me. Uh, shortly, uh, Rekha Basu, a columnist with the Des Moines Register, is going to join us. Um, so, Charles, just to, you know, my, my take on, um, I, I listen to right-wing radio, so you don't have to, okay? Well, I know you do too, I though. do. Most people don't. Um, but, uh, you know, following their take on this, it's all about the leak. The leak was the worst thing that happened. And the right, because they really don't want to talk about that they really don't want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. It's a bad issue for them. And it's interesting, you know, and, and maybe Reka can talk to this. Do, do journalists do research anymore? No. I mean, because the funny thing is, is all I'm hearing about is the leak, the leak, the leak. You know which decision was leaked also before it was made public? Roe v. Wade. <laughs> it wasn't historically unbelievable that a decision was leaked. It was it, Roe v. Wade was leaked by probably William O. Douglas to call Warren Burger, who was trying to push the uh, you know decision off, so he didn't have to face President Nixon at the inauguration. Yeah. You know, well, so just do some research and let's talk about the same thing. And let's bring uh, Rekha Basu into the program. Hello, Rekha. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So. Um, yeah, and, and my the other the other takeaway I got from my time spent listening to uh, uh, iHeartRadio several times last mm -hmm. week it, it was it was a little bit difficult. I mean, it was all about the league, but it's also about the the fact that there is going to be these blue states that are going to allow women to have abortions at nine months. And the third thing was the third takeaway was oh these poor Supreme Court justices that are being threatened. Uh, as if there was never an abortion clinic, a Planned Parenthood, you know, clinic, uh, 
a, a, a doctor that wasn't threatened and even killed. <laughs> it's like, mm. it's, yeah. it's revisionist history, and they're very conveniently avoiding the main, the, the main, that's really happening. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my take on it. Rekha, do you have a perspective on that? I mean, I actually really try very hard to avoid right-wing radio station and television because it makes my blood boil so much that I'd have to take medication, and so I won't. <laughs> well, that's why Charles um, is here. <laughs> but, I, but, I mean, yeah, you know, we know these narratives, but I think that the reality is that we are becoming a nation that basically hates women and will do anything to take away their rights to bodily autonomy because it sells well politically. I mean, it's unbelievable that this many years after Roe versus Wade passed, this is an issue that sells. Does this issue sell with women Republicans too? And why, why, how, how did we get here? Women have always had abortions. Women will always continue to have abortions, including when they're illegal, because as long as there are unwanted pregnancies, they're gonna be abortions. They're just gonna be really, really dangerous to get. And this whole narrative, which very much syncs up with the narrative around trans rights, right? It's when they're not doing anything proper about the economy, when they're not taking care of unemployment, when they're not taking care of people's health, then they turn around and point at, you know, men wanting to use women's bathrooms and abortions at nine months of pregnancy. Those are the issues that that they seem to be able to count on selling. And I think a lot of it is tied to the Trump era, actually. I'm not sure that they could have gotten away with this. And it's the same thing, I have to say, with this horrible murder, mass killing in Buffalo um, on Saturday, that, that, you know, that kind of hate speech has become so common now and so tolerated that it's reaching younger generation in way, and professional professional young people in ways that you just couldn't have imagined 20 years ago when we were growing up. So yeah, this is a political, you know, rallying cry. And this end of abortion is a political rallying cry. And the Republicans have been getting elected year after year after year on this one issue, when probably a lot of their own wives and sisters and daughters have had abortions or needed them or will need them. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I would say it's not just the right wing side of media, the, the centrist at best side of media mm-hmm. is equally bad because they they also locked down on one narrative and that was what it's going to be like for women who are not going to be able to travel and who have limited resources and and they're also playing into the Tom, uh, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas believes that abortion is a eugenic experiment essentially run by whites, Democrats, I mean, to, yeah. to reduce I, the population of, of, of black people. Okay, mm. how come mm. how come we don't ever hear that? That he believes that. How come we don't ever hear, as Rekha just said, this was always a political play. This was as much as as they make it out to be. If you listen to the centrist media, they make it out like, wow, Roe gets passed, and all of a sudden there's the fundamentalist Christian move against it. That is absolutely not true. This was a political movement dredged up by Paul Weirich of the Heritage Foundation, mm-hmm. Phyllis Shafley, another creep, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who who was against the ERA, a rabid anti-communist, and mm-hmm. Falwell Sr. And they played this issue into what it is today. And, and the last thing I'll say, Rekha... still has currency. That's right. That's, and that's because crazy. nobody ever tells that story, because we always hear the same story. I am not denying that the reason for Roe v. Wade had a lot to do 
with the with the carnage that was occurring, the maternal mortality that was occurring around mm-hmm. the illegality of abortion. The irony mm-hmm. is, the irony is, states that we now think of as blue states had worse laws for abortion against abortion, mm-hmm. places like New York, than were in the South at the time of Roe v. Wade. So this New is, York, New what York, what? New York I was had growing more, up in New York in the 1970s before New, Roe and taking But New York had prohibitions that actually were more a regu- you know, regulation of it. it. It wasn't banned or anything, but the regulation of it was actually more stringent than some of the southern states at the time. Mm. So we're never told this. Well, you know what I think is really supremely interesting and ironic is that we have been trying to silence or get rid of abortion in other countries for years, right, through these policies of, um, you know, nobody, no U.S. funding will go to clinics that say the word abortion, that have anything to do with abortion. There's been a global gag policy that's been going on for years. And I was in Ethiopia back in 2006 doing a tour um, with a group called Engender Health about women's health care issues, including AIDS, HIV infection, abortion uh, rights. And what had been happening there was so interesting. The women of Ethiopia had gotten together and really pressed parliament, and it was a fairly liberal government at the time that I was there, into getting full abortion rights. And, you know, this had been a campaign that had been going around, going along for a long time, but... These were some um, very strong-minded activists, and they got some concessions. And then in come marching a bunch of evangelical Christian ministers from the United States who go to see members of parliament in Ethiopia and say, no, 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 you can't reverse your anti-abortion laws because, you know, we will either, I don't know what, deny funding, I don't know what exactly cleaver they were holding over them, but so that's exactly what happened. Well, me, so the women who had been fighting for this, and it's been happening in so many different places, well, but somehow the U.S. could get away with it doing it in foreign policy, but but not here. Well, let's ask Ed, okay. ask, ask Ed the history of how abortion in, in Ireland went from being illegal. Oh, and Ireland. Ireland. Uh, <laughs> so Ireland. Ireland. I yeah. mean, very, very dramatic steps forward. Uh, I mean, uh, even with even with uh, the more recent ruling, a vote rather, a vote of the public on marriage equality, of the 26 counties, every single one of them, some of them overwhelmingly, voted in support of marriage equality, except for one. There was only one county that did not vote. William Amos. My, well, my, you know, where, where, our, where our family lives, yes. My, my home county in Ireland was the only one to vote against marriage equality, but it was by a 49 to 51 margin. It was uh-huh. that close. And again, uh, you know, just so many things have changed in so many countries in a positive way. And it's just, but here's, a, here's what I want to ask you guys, both of you. The, um, you know, I, I understand, and I've, I've seen this up close as a legislator, there is political, you know, a political rationale behind the effort to keep this issue front and center. It, it polarizes the electorate. Uh, it, it, I mean, it fires up people to vote Republican, usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and I get that. I, I understand strategically why partisans in the Republican Party are doing that. But when I talk to rank-and-file voters on the, in the Republican realm, even some independents, even some Democrats, who are, quote, pro-life, you know, they're good people. They're not nut jobs. They're not evil. They're not, um, they just feel very, very passionate about this from their faith perspective. So how do we, how do we reach beyond the, the political 
you know, motivation for this and, and have that conversation where we hopefully can find some common ground. And, I, you know, I think, I think polling tends to show that common ground because even most people who call themselves pro-life don't believe that it's okay, okay to first, require first a woman all, who's been all, raped it, to have it, a child. It, it, stop calling them pro-life. Well, I'm, they, I'm are, using, they, I'm, are, they are anti-abortion. Okay, but in deference to their pref- choice term, term of choice, that's what I'm using. But yeah, I get they're anti-abortion. Well, anti-choice. I mean, I think that, you know, many years ago, decades ago, um, the columnist Ellen Goodman count, called for common ground on this issue. And she said, why can't we talk about preventing pregnancies? Why can't we talk about pregnancy prevention? And she had, you know, organized small groups of women who were meeting to talk about that. But they don't want pregnancy prevention in this state, right? The people who are pushing anti-abortion laws are people who are also would ban, you know, the abortion pill or don't want birth control to be paid for by insurance or don't want birth control at all. Well, that I mean, was the, the that was the despicable part of Alito's. That was the most. Child, dis- yeah, right. they, they have to keep up the supply of white children for adoption. Right. That was the most Which, despicable part of what Alito wrote. Well, and isn't that what this what this guy in Buffalo thought, too? Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, but I mean, Reka, you, you... So, so how do you find common ground on an issue like this? Well, or you find common ground. I mean, the other obvious way to find common ground is, and if these folks are really good folks, and I know there are many who, who believe differently than I do on abortion, if their true motivation is taking care of children, why are they not lifting a finger to take care of children who are already on this earth and who are being abused or who are living in poverty and who don't have any services or protection? Why not that? I mean, why do we always go to killing the unborn child? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, Because that's how they have been manipulated. This mm-hmm. isn't... There's nothing... There, there's no way that science or scripture decides when life begins, all right? So mm-hmm. I, I would accept mm-hmm. that, and I would accept what Rake is saying, and what Ed's saying, which is there are people who take a position against abortion based on the ambiguity of the ethics of it. I, don't, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I, I think that ambiguity will exist for the rest of time. That's correct. <laughs> okay, so, mm-hmm. but, but in terms of is there a middle ground, Unfortunately, the reproductive freedom, you know, uh, pro-choice side has also been very doctrinaire mm-hmm. and also allowed the language. And you, you asked the question about abortion on demand up till nine months. Okay. So that was a big issue in the 90s when there was a possibility where the Democrats had control to perhaps codify Roe v. Wade in a certain way. But they were not allowed to find some way to navigate third trimester abortion. You know why? Because it might have taken an intelligent discussion of why it's needed mm. by physicians. Isn't who, what they're talking about, what they were talking about there, this, this thing known as partial birth abortion? They called it partial birth abortion. again, abortion at all. Right. Again, allowing the terminology to define the issue okay right life clearly i can say that as a scientist life doesn't begin at conception life is very tenuous as conception at best mm-hmm. you know and there's a there's a, a, a extensive process that allows it to move toward life the other the other thing is there's no heartbeat at six weeks this is mm-hmm. another anomaly there's no heart it's a it's an anomaly of ultrasound and the fact mm-hmm. that we do all these investigations, many of them unnecessary, mm-hmm. you know. And then you've got the, this whole cottage <clears throat> industry of taking ultrasounds to show you the face of your baby, yeah. which mm-hmm. is freaky. I mean, that whole thing. 
But no, ultimately, right. but some states have ordered that that you have to, you know, you have to get these ultrasounds before you can decide to have an abortion. Yeah, right? I, I, I think Ed, that I have no problem. I have no problem with reaching a middle ground on where viability becomes questionable because the science does change. What was viable in the seventies is now going to be changed by the technology we have. So let me ask you this before we got to take a break. Um, my my political view on this is that the right has overplayed their hand because mo most, most people do not support the extreme position on abortion, which is where the partisans involved with this, and I would include the U.S. Supreme Court in that, def that, that definition, that's where they want to go. And, and I, th I think they have, they've overplayed their hand so badly that this might actually, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm not cynical, but I, I'm trying to look, look at the politics of this. I think this may actually hurt uh, Republican candidates at some point down the road, possibly in the near future, because of how extreme this has become. Well, I. But the thing is, it can't hurt members of Congress because they're already happily sitting there in place. Right, because we've got of the, the Politburo. Are already also happily <laughs> sitting in their seats, and so you know you can't do anything about them. They're not going to be dumped out of out of office because the Supreme Court is forever. And a lot of these members came in saying the abortion issue has already been settled. We don't, we don't propose to change it. So look what happened there. I don't know yeah. if it's gonna backfire. I, I think there's just gonna be a lot of pain and misery, but I don't know that, I mean, I don't know that people are gonna take it out on their local level, state level lawmakers. I wish they would, but mm -hmm. I certainly don't see in a state like Iowa that happening because Iowa is now predominantly red state. And, and unfortunately, red means you have to be associated with this anti-choice movement. Hmm. That's yeah, what yeah. it means in Iowa. Being a Republican, you have to be anti-abortion rights. Yeah. Rick, I um, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Oh, of course. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. Folks, we've been talking with uh, Rick Abasu. She's a columnist with the Des Moines Register. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. It's been a pleasure joining you both. All right. Thanks a bunch. Okay, take, take care. care. When we come back Bye. from a short break, sure. folks, uh, Charles Goldman again and I are going to continue the conversation. Um, I want to look a little bit more at the discussion about finding common ground. Mm -hmm. um, let's, take a, let's take a little more time to dig into that. Again, this is Ed Fallon with you, folks. Uh, we'll be back in a minute or two after a short break. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. back to the uh, Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a donor 
or even a monthly donor or a business sponsor. You can check out the Fallon Forum website for details about that. Uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in both English and Spanish, and the clinic is open from Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. All right, so um, again, Charles Goldman with me in the studio today, and we've been discussing the Roe v. Wade ruling, likely to come out of the U.S. Supreme Court, what that means. You know, we could spend many, many hours talking about this. It's hard to know where it's going to go. I want to talk a bit, Charles, about, about finding common ground. And I know there are those who say, not worth it, don't bother, there's no, there's no hope. Uh, all the people on the right of this, all, all the folks who are anti-choice are Neanderthals, let them go back into their caves. I mean, I, I hear things like that all the time. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Some of it's even worse. I believe there's always hope for dialogue. And where there's a chance for dialogue, there's a chance for discovering ground that we can agree on. And I speak from experience because back in 1998, I mean, I, I, I was a legislator for 14 years. I accumulated quite a you know, voting record on abortion. It was 100% pro-choice. But I had enough... Um, you know, I, I convinced five Republicans and three other Democrats to go along with a, a with a, a proposal to establish a task force, a commission, to look at what you know what common ground can we find relevant to unplanned pregnancies, and you know it may maybe it's the only time you've got the Iowa Right to Life Committee and uh, other pro-life, anti-choice groups sitting down at the table with NARAL with Planned Parenthood sitting down for a day-long conversation about finding common ground. I, and I, I look at the report. It's, uh, I, I think it's pretty good. You know, it, it came out in, uh, uh, in the end of 1998. Mm -hmm. And what it said to me is, yeah, we can dialogue. I think the partisans on the right that are really in this for trying to you know, gain political advantage don't want to have that conversation. But when pushed to do it, they realize, you know, we, we, we can't not talk about it. We can't not try to find common ground. Am I, am I overly hopeful in terms of what we might accomplish by, uh, by pursuing that strategy? Well, for the moment, I think you are. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, the, the abortion issue has kind of become like, for lack of a better term, it's the lost leader of the Republican, Republican unholy alliance with Protestant fundamentalism and Catholic fundamentalism in this country. And people are now, it's, it's part, not, it's not an isolated issue for them. It leads them into these, you know, evangelical churches in which they're not even really even talking scripture anymore. It's, they're expecting a harangue about politics as part of the sermon, if not I, the sermon, you know. I, I, was, I was at an evangelical church once that, that uh, that um, where the pastor proclaimed, and he would have enjoyed this. I'm so far to the right, I make Attila the Hun look like a liberal. Right, <laughs> certainly the message of Jesus. Yeah, um, certainly. And, and and of course, um, really justifying their tax exempt status as as houses of worship. But um, I I do believe that. Let, let, let's really let's let's understand what this issue is. This issue is out and out about misogyny. This is about men telling women what to do. It is not 
it is not truly that much of an issue about abortion because, as you say, there's plenty of hypocrites who, you know, talk the, the, the you know, pro-life position, but in point of fact, yeah, when push comes to shove, they make use of but, the but capability. But I know, I, I know Republican men who are, I mean, not at all misogynist, very... Very kind to their I wives, understand, to women but, in general. And but that's not the position. This is not how this issue was made. This issue was made right. as a it was an, it was entirely almost entirely engendered by the fear that there would actually be an amendment to the Constitution that women would have the same rights as men. And the the irony was they flipped it to tell women that wow have the same rights as men. That means believe it or not in the 1970s they're talking about. Every bathroom is going to be a unisex bathroom. You're going to have to be a combat soldier in the army. You're going to actually, you're much better off if you leave things the way they were in the 1950s. But in, in the interest of answering your question, yes, people are going to have to give up the extremes. First of all, the two things that are going to happen that I think will, will get more people to want to dialogue. One is that it will no longer be theoretical. It will be actual that women are dying. Women are going to start dying. Right. Yes, I and, know. It's, and, it's, and it is just like what happened with with the expansion of the protections they always should have had, but the expansion of, of, of rights and protections to uh, gay and other, and other LGBTQ people. You know, and that is, when they realized that the person next door was gay, and they realized that God hadn't struck the, you know, the apartment house with a, lightning bolt to punish them right that you know these were decent people you know and and when someone is someone in their family dies from you know a mishap with abortion under the new regimes in these states suddenly there's going to be more there's going to be a ramification of that you know without before marriage equality most people polled were not in support I mean, I, I that's well, correct. The Democratic Party was dead set against marriage equality back in the mid. Right. I mean, late Obama, 90s. Obama scrupulously avoided well, yeah, it. Yeah, Hillary Clinton was totally on the wrong side. I, yeah. I got, I got an opponent. Democrats found an opponent for me because I was outspoken in favor of marriage equality. Right. You know? But let me just let me just continue as to what might drive people. Okay. I think that's right. Which is, if you bring people in contact with the actuality of it, then people do start to change their minds. The other thing is, if you love the drug war. You're going to love what comes up if they want to start policing interstate, you know, kinds of travel. What, what, for do, you think, what do you think that looks like? What's going to look like a police state is what it's going to look like. How are you going to do this? You're going to be extraditing people from other states who are operating under a medical license in another state. You're going to try to get them to extradite you. What are they going to do with if contraception is somehow going to go by the board. Spy on your, are they going to are they going to be putting RFID chips in your pregnancy test box to see you know whether who takes them and are they going to you know people go into doctors' offices who are pregnant are they suddenly are those records suddenly become available to the state mm-hmm. to make sure that you keep the pregnancy going. Yeah, if you like the drug war, you're going to love an abortion war, an abortion privacy war. So, the, again, again, two things here. You can, you can. I, I think when you start having dialogue with 
But you need to have people. a reason to start having dialogue. Yeah, well, right but, now, the pro, the no. the anti-abortion side feels like they won. No, I, they think, I think, I think it's never you. too late, to, never too early to start dialogue. Again, we had this dialogue back in 1998, and it went very well. I mean, the the things that it was it was intended to be a proactive agenda, and I think these conversations should as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what can we agree on that would reduce the a frequency of unplanned pregnancies? Uh, well, a number of things. One would be. It's really nice to talk about you're going to take care of the child after it's born. How about setting up some programs that do that? Mm. Oh, the well, Republicans actually told the Democrats that that's what they should be doing. Yeah, well, right? the problem there is uh, the challenge there for the uh, Republican lawmaker in this case would be funding. Exactly. They don't, they don't want to spend the money there was, on it. There was a despicable op-ed in the New York Times in which they, you know, they talked to somebody who was saying, well, I, you know— I, I ethically absolutely believe abortion is wrong and that it, it he even said that if it causes overpopulation of the world and we end up with this Malthusian, you know, uh, Armageddon and they're piling the dead bodies up, I still feel it would be worth it if we, as long as we protected the unborn. And then, of course, as part of it, he said, what we should be doing is setting up programs that would take care of women better who are pregnant, take care of their children. Oh, really? You could have been doing that for 50 years since Roe v. Wade. You were so concerned about it. Mm. So that's crap. Yeah. Okay. So let's not listen to that nonsense. It's never going to happen. But, okay, yes. What has, what has been the big issue that has been the sticking point? Okay? One of the big issues has been this issue of third trimester abortions. Right. Okay. okay. I mean, I was watching the news on CNN. Not in the notorious right wing. Not on Fox? Yeah, not on Fox. And, you know, John Fenneman, who's running in the primary in Pennsylvania for the Senate uh, to run, you know, against probably Dr. Oz, um, (laughs) lives in New Jersey. I don't know how he's running in Pennsylvania. Well, he's got Trump's Trump's endorsement. He's got Trump's endorsement. That's perfect. That's correct. Right, right. So, you know, Fenneman, um, they asked him, do you believe in third trimester abortion? Okay? Yeah. So they went right to that. And he says, I believe that, you know, women should have, unfortunately he answered this, you know, they should have unbridled abortion rights. Okay, that's great. And, and except that's not a position that someone who already has queasiness about abortion is going to be comfortable with. Right. Now, there's absolute medical reasons for why you need third trimester abortion to be available, which actually some of these bans are going to, that's how women are going to die. You know how they're going to die? They're going to have blighted pregnancies, encephalic kids, that become infection risks to them. That was actually the reason, that's what drove the Irish Catholic movement to mm. allow abortion. Mm. Because a woman, very prominent case, a woman died, a septic death, mm. two days after sitting in a hospital because they wouldn't perform, perform an abortion to you know save her life. Right. So I think that there's going to have to be some compromise to clarify, first of all, what does third trimester abortion mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's going to have to be some give on where is the point where we have to consider viability a possibility. But there, there are some on the right who do not even believe that abortion should be allowed in the case of rape or incest, which is just heinous to me. But that's not right. a majority of most people. No, I think that most people are most people are, are most people feel that that is a a restriction that they can live with. And so I think you would you'd be able but, to come together with a majority of people on that issue. Yeah. But I do think you're going to have to 
you're going to have to compromise on viability. You're going to have to, and, you know, because the position on viability has been, well, if you give an inch, they'll take a mile, and they moved it down to 15 weeks. Well, you know, 15 weeks, yes, it's not a, in, in 99 plus percent of the cases, that's not going to be a viable, fe, you know, fetus that can be supported in, in a NICU. But the fact is, 80% of abortions are done before 15 weeks. You know, so with proper prenatal care and the ability to find out you're pregnant early enough mm. and availability, you could avoid needing abortions past 15 weeks. Now, one, one problem with the 1998 task force that, uh, that I had, had, had established um, regarding un, unplanned pregnancy was that that uh, problem. The, the Catholic uh, Catholic social services were involved with the task force, mm-hmm. and that was great. Glad they were, but they were just dead set. You know, they 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 a non-starter for them was contraception. Then they I don't mean, have to use contraception. That's well, I know, business. but that's that, yeah. That's <laughs> in terms of finding common ground. I think again, even most Catholics support contraception to some extent. Well, we know that. That's, yeah. I mean, you talk about a, church, a, a, a faith that is, is, is hemorrhaging membership is, you know, the Catholic Church in the United States, and it's because they are so out of step with their own parishioners. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of areas where... You, but there's going to have to be some give on both sides. And what, what doomed movements to codify Roe in the 90s was, again, a, a digging the heels in on non-medically indicated third-trimester abortions, mm-hmm. which were rare. Even medically indicated ones are rare. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but it, it, it became a real sticking point, and because it looked like, well, we, you know, the, 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 the pro-choice was going to win the war, um, they said, all right, well, we're not going to compromise. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. There were people of good faith and and who do do have for their own reasons beliefs that are not consistent with that abortion is an appropriate act yeah. you know but do they do they have the right to tell everyone else that's the case yeah because right. it's only a belief but they won't say that they, you know they'll they, their their faith is is of such that they they you know, they, 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 they don't believe that other people have the right answer. <laughs> well, they, you know, that, that, they, that gets, they, gets, a bit, gets a bit hard to have that conversation. They co-opt the Holocaust. Yeah. They claim the Holocaust, which was a, a, a mechanization of death, hmm. is equivalent to, a, yeah. you know, the, 60, the claimed, I don't know if the number's true or not, the claimed 63 million abortions that you know have occurred since Roe v. Wade. I know I've heard it called that. And, and I mean, how does somebody? I mean, you're 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 cult, you're a cultural Jew, I believe is the right description. Yes, at yeah. best. Yeah, at best. <laughs> okay, but but yeah, that that I mean, I imagine that's got to be a fairly painful comparison for a Jewish person who has maybe more, you know, more immediate experience with that um, that that what we generally call the Holocaust of World War II. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know that I feel that much. Is that I feel like, I, I you know, if my daughter had come home and was pregnant in her teens, I probably would have said, have the child, and, you know, and we'll take care of it and go on with your life, mm-hmm. you know, because I wouldn't want her to have that ambiguity about mm-hmm. whether it was right or not. But right. that doesn't mean I should be walking around telling somebody else, right. don't do it. Yeah. Well, we'll... Um We'll see where this goes. I mean, the ruling is not final yet. I think we think we know where it's going. And of course, what happens at the state level is uh, all across the country is going to be um, 
interesting and, and disturbing probably in many cases. Charles, uh, thanks so much for joining us. No, it's my pleasure. Folks, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman with me in the studio. When we come back, uh, Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be taking a look inside the hives and lives of bees for our farm and food segment. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, folks, you could support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor. Or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit doing good work, you can also become a sponsor of this program. And thanks to uh, psychiatrist Dr. David Drake, one of our sponsors. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. Joining me in the studio now, Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and we are going to talk about one of those two B words, bees specifically. Yeah, it's spring, and it's the talk is all about bees these days. Inside the hives and lives of bees. <laughs> well, um, today we just want to share three things uh, about the world of beekeeping, in case you are beekeeping curious and want to know of a few tidbits that some folks may not be aware of. So uh, we're going to talk about um, bees in the spring and possibly swarming. Yeah. Some people think that sounds really scary. We do not. Um, <laughs> well, nobody should. We were going to talk about yeah. how sometimes bees hit the road and go on, on trips. <laughs> and um, beekeepers' dilemma, one of them. So the first, uh, the first topic is about uh, when beekeepers hives get too crowded. Just to give you some background, a typical hive box can have between 10,000 and 80,000 bees in 80, it. 80,000, that's 80, crazy. 000, that's one. I think more, I think more crowded than Manhattan. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a crazy world. Yeah. So that's one queen, only a couple several hundred drones or males, and the rest are workers or females. Uh, queen might lay 3,000 eggs per day. Once the weather warms up, she goes on her that mating flight, long. and then she gets really busy. Yeah. Um, so so beehives can get really crowded. And when they do... Yeah, that's when, they, when yeah. people see those swarms up in the trees and bushes, that's and they, right. get, they get panicky. They do. They do. And, and really, a swarm is has no interest in you, frankly. Don't, don't they, like, tank up on honey before they take off? They, like, have a great feeding 
before they hit, hit the road so they, they can kind of make it to their next destination without worrying about hunger? I know I do. <laughs> right. Yes, it's true. They, yeah. they have to really kind of but eat you, up, and, um, and then they, they go swarm, and then several of them go out to uh, find a new home, and then the rest yeah. of them follow. I remember as a kid, my, a, a swarm formed on a tree in our backyard, and my mom totally panicked. I don't blame her. I mean, you see that. It's kind of like, oh, my gosh, there's, there's a million bees right there mm-hmm. you know and uh and she brought us all inside and we just kind of hunkered down waited out yeah but they don't they usually aren't there that long yeah. matter of hours or a day or two maybe i think well yeah and then they then they find their home and they get going here's the mystery part of it what happens with the queen so when the worker bees inside the hive figure out that the hive is getting pretty crowded and half of the bees are going to go. And that will be the, the current queen, or the do, old queen who takes half the Do they, like, withered. draw straws or what? For who goes and who yeah, stays. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lottery. A lottery. <laughs> <laughs> so half of them are going to go with the old queen. That means there needs to be a new queen. Well, the queen bee is the only bee that's capable of laying a female bee, except the worker bees can create her egg into a new queen by starting to feed the larva something they call royal jelly. It's a high-powered mm. spit. <laughs> and that, yeah. that can form a new queen. So if I, what, I, what I hear this time of the year is that if you do see a swarm, call a beekeeper mm. right away. You know, don't go out there and spray it. That's oh, kill, my that's, gosh. That's, but that happens. People see these swarms, and they get nervous, and they, they spray it to kill it all. But those, those bees are just looking for a place to go, and they're honeybees. Mm-hmm. Honeybees are the honey ones that bees. swarm. And they're the ones that pollinate our good, good plants and vegetables and flowers and, and all a, the things we a, need. And an experienced beekeeper, you know, we're not, we've, we've done this, but on only simple swarms. But <laughs> an experienced beekeeper can track down a, bee, a swarm nearly anywhere, and, and in most cases can, you know, try to recover it. They can cut trees open. They can cut houses open and um, <laughs> remove that. swarms that have inhabited your house. And that happens sometimes. <laughs> so another interesting thing about bees, and um, this um, this happens more than people know, but it's about honeybees hitting the road. It takes, in California, it takes about 31 billion honeybees plus 800 or 810,000 acres of almond trees to equal 700 billion almonds um, <laughs> wow. in a season. I believe that's in a season. How much almond milk is that? That's a lot of almond milk. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think about half of the almonds are used for almonds. I'm not, milk, I'm not okay, sure I have wow. that, that yeah. statistic right. But uh, between October and February, a lot of people, a lot of beekeepers choose, and this is because of, of, of um, you know, the, the finances of yeah, beekeeping. They, they get paid for it. Yeah. They get paid to load up their bees on trucks, yeah. millions and millions of bees on trucks, hive boxes, and ship them to California to pollinate <laughs> almond groves. Yeah. And um, there are, you know, it's a good way for people to make a living with beekeeping. Um, but there are also some dilemmas involved in that. Such as? Such as uh, the fact that it's a real strain on bees. We are already Mm. deplete of bees in the United States and the world, and a lot of bees die. Because normally that's downtime for them. It is, and and they can't can't forage. Right. They cannot even get out to defecate. So they, they are not in their most usual environment where they can keep a tidy hive. Right. Also, when they get to California and they start, you know, being put 
en masse into almond groves, that concentrates the bees in that area and the capability of mites to mm. infest those bees becomes mm, yeah. greater. And then yeah. when those bees get get brought back to to um, the Midwest or wherever they came from, sure. the mites come with them. Yeah, and of course we can also talk about the the huge water consumption of the olive of the olive the almond industry, but that's mm-hmm. another conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Well, speaking of mites, a, another real dilemma for beekeepers is this uh, system of mite infestations, and and they can kill beehives. We've had it happen to some of our hives over the winter. And even in the late fall, and whether to treat or not. The terrible varroa mite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It digs into the, the the bee and eats it, actually, so, and, and into, yeah, the, into the cells. <laughs> um, so the dilemma is, if you don't treat your bees with a chemical, you could lose your bees. And people are saying, well, we're short on bees. We need to keep our bees alive. And at the same time, a lot of the mites are becoming resistant to the treatment. Yeah, Thus, more treatment is needed. There's various types of treatment, but there seems to be some problem with each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we know we know we know somebody who doesn't treat it or treats treats all of her hives, and she has a hundred percent, nearly a hundred percent survival rate. She's a tremendous beekeeper, yeah. really a big help to the rest of us. But there's another guy here in Central Iowa who is uh, trying to develop mites that. Uh, are resi- sorry, bees that are resistant to mites. And he's having some success too. Yep, yeah. Um, I appreciate all the efforts. And we've actually done both. We've treated, we've not treated. We've had hives get through the winter. We've had hives not make it through the winter and had to buy new bees the next year. So it's up to the beekeeper. But you should know, if you're, if you're curious about beekeeping, these are just a few things that we thought you might appreciate hearing about. Yeah. All right. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees, Urban Farm. Hey, thanks today to my uh, co-host, Dr. Charles Goldman, and to uh, Ray Kabasu and Sally Frank for joining us on the phone. Uh, Thanks to our entire production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Kathy Burns, Charles, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gailey Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. And of course, thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot, so go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about what you can do to help make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.